The basic premise of these services is to look at Christianity from an apologetic point of view. 1 Peter 3.15 tells us to always be ready to give an answer, a reason for the hope that we have, to do so with gentleness and respect. So we are going to look at some subject matter tonight that I would say to you is probably adult-oriented. I'll, I'll leave it up to you parents to determine you know, how you want to handle that. But we are going to get into some of the darker things, spiritually speaking. And uh, I do think it's, it's important that our eyes are open to these realities. Uh, I've been saying all along, if you come to Living Truth regularly, that um, this is not to sensationalize something, but this is to expose something. We're not, we're not to participate in the unfruitful works of darkness. We are to rather expose them. And everything that is exposed is exposed by the light. So we're going to talk about the light of Christ. We're going to get to a point tonight where we talk about the delivering power of Christ. But more people, more and more people I talk to and talk to them about dabbling in the occult or dabbling in uh, Eastern religions and that kind of thing, more and more people I find out have had some dark experiences. And so I can tell just by the number of you that have come tonight that there is an interest in this subject matter. So for the next several months, every time we have a first Sunday of the month at 633, we will be looking at the occult. In future messages, I'll be looking at witchcraft, the New Age movement, and things like this. But tonight, we're going to talk about a specific case where there was a case of demonic possession. I was there. And that's going to be part of our evening tonight. And we do have those who were part of that night who will be here to uh, give you a firsthand account. I do believe it's very important to lay a groundwork for where we're going biblically. And so here's how the format of the night will work. Uh, I'm going to lecture a little bit on the topic of the occult. So I hope you have your Bible or you have your little gadget uh, that you use to open your Bible. Okay, because you're going to need it. We're going to look at the occult. We'll look at how the Bible defines it. So I'm going to give you a definition of the occult. Okay, I'm going to give you three basic D's tonight. A definition of the occult. What is it? How does it work? Then I'm going to take you to a passage in the book of Deuteronomy, which is probably the classic text on what God has to say about the occult. And then I'm going to examine and explore some doorways into the occult. How does it work? How do people end up um, trafficking or getting involved with something dark? And how might we keep those doors closed and warn others to keep those doors closed so that we don't have something like this happen. And then also, I will tell you that if you've experienced something dark, or maybe you are experiencing something dark at the present moment, there is deliverance. Maybe that could be our fourth D. There's deliverance in Jesus Christ. His power is greater than any power in this universe. The devil is simply a fallen angel. Demonic spirits are also fallen angels. And we do, as Christians, have authority in the name of Jesus. But I would tell you, to quote Dr. Walter Martin, who ran into about three or four of these cases, it would seem, of demonic possession, is I wouldn't cross the street to deal with it. Believe me. So there's no glee in telling the story or no you know, unhealthy excitement on my part. I'm just here to be an ambassador of the truth 
and to teach you what the Bible says and then help us help others uh, know the hope of Christ. So that's where we're headed tonight. We're gonna go from the definition to Deuteronomy. We'll talk about doorways and then we'll get to the deliverance that's found in Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you tonight. We're grateful for every precious person that's come to this place to hear your word and to hear this firsthand account. Lord, we always pray before we start anything here, but I think we have an extra sense that we need to pray with more fervency tonight. We ask for a spiritual covering as we talk about the occult, as we deal with matters that are dark. But we also pray, Lord, that your light, your hope, and your truth would be at the core of everything we remember. You have not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. When I think back to the night that we're going to talk about, that's really what overcame me was love and the authority that you give us in the name of Jesus. And I thank you for that. And I, I pray that this night would be yours for your purposes, Lord. Would we lay it at your feet and we pray in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus Christ that you'll use it for your purposes. In Jesus' holy name I pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. What is the occult a definition? Uh, you know, America has been called in many ways post-Christian America. There are many people that are dabbling in what we would call the occult. We were just talking in my office before I came out here, and I think a lot of you are familiar with the phenomenon of Stranger Things. How many of you have seen Stranger Things? It's, it's a pretty entertaining uh, movie, series. However, there is now a Ouija board, I was just told, put out by Parker Brothers, uh, with the Stranger, themes, Stranger Things theme sold at Toys R Us where you can apparently talk to Eleven, one of the main characters in Stranger Things, by use of the Ouija board. Now, some of you are thinking, what in the world? And what is, maybe you don't know what a Ouija board is. A Ouija board was developed by Parker Brothers, sold in stores. It's Popularity has ebbed and flowed throughout the years. In 2014, a, a movie came out. I think it was called Ouija or Ouija. And so sales of the Ouija board spiked by 300%. Now, a famous medium uh, from a, a little bit of a ways back. Now, Edgar, Edward Casey, Edgar Casey was his name, warned, and he was an occultist, he warned of the dangers of messing with the Ouija board. Now, I've talked to a lot of people from my generation and a lot of us messed with Ouija boards. And you may be one of them. And I don't know if anything evil in my life happened as a result. And I can't tell you why some things happen to some people and other people seem to go unscathed. But I will tell you this. Don't mess with this stuff. You have no idea the doorways that you may be opening. What is the occult? The occult is something that we would say means the hidden. It comes from a Latin word called occultus, O-C-C-U-L-T-U-S. It means the hidden, the occluded, the blocked or obstructed. It speaks of the secret, esoteric knowledge and practices. It deals with the supernatural or the psychic phenomena. 
often for the purposes of obtaining personal power. Those who are authorities on looking at the occult would say that you can maybe capture the occult in one word. And the one word is experience. People are looking for experiences. They're looking for channels of power. Many people are interested to know their future or even things of the past. The occult promises power. It promises experience. It promises inside information to things that you may not have access to by normal means. And so there are people who get into clairvoyance and palmistry and astrology, the Ouija board, tarot cards, scrying, crystal balls, many other things. Now you might say, well, Pastor Michael, is all of this authentic? Is all of it real? Is it true if you go to a, a palm reader or some sort of medium that it's an authentic experience? Possibly not. In fact, I think it was Walter Martin who said about a third of what is, or two thirds of what is called the occult may just be dismissed, but one third of it may be real. And by the way, just because you have a real experience with something doesn't make it true. Please hear that. Just because you've had some real experience where you experience some power or what you might call supernatural insight into a situation doesn't mean it's from God. It doesn't mean that it's genuinely something good or positive. In fact, some of the cases that we could talk about of people who have experienced what we'd say is demon possession said that it started off as a positive experience light and hope and these kinds of things, and then got progressively darker. For those of you who uh, remember back into the 70s when the first Exorcist movie came out with Linda Blair, and, uh, you know, I remember, uh, I'll go back to Dr. Martin, he said he went into a theater and there was a big strapping man who came in, he sat behind Dr. Martin and said, okay, I'm here, now scare the hell out of me. I mean, it's that kind of thing. We, we kind of know what's going on when we, when we open the door to this stuff. And it's, and it's often not talked about, but here it is. And this is the occult. There's nothing innocent about it, but people mess with it. A Barna survey came out regarding, it was titled, and it was a little while back, Teens and the Supernatural said three out of every 10 teenagers have played with a Ouija board had their palms read, and eight out of ten have read their horoscopes. People are interested in the dark things. Why? What fascinates people to, to look into these things? Is it something that the church is not doing or providing? Possibly. But remember, the devil masquerades as an angel of light, and he's on the prowl, 1 Peter 5, 8, seeking someone to devour. Since the devil masquerades as an angel of light that should tell us that he doesn't come out with an ID card, show you his driver's license, and say, hello, I'm Lucifer. My goal is to destroy you and gulp you down. So just so you know ahead of time, this is my idea and this is my plan. No, he is a master counterfeiter and deceiver. In the garden, did God really say, Genesis chapter 3. Oh, God knows that in the day you eat thereof, you'll be as gods. It's the promise of power, the promise of enlightenment, the promise that you can control your destiny. 
but you're not in control. And when you open the door to the occult, even though there are people who go there and mess with it, it can, it can turn on you very, very quickly. And so this is the definition of the occult, the occluded, the hidden, the secret things, and so forth. I have a story inside this book. I, I'm not going to share it with you tonight, but there's a story. This is a book written by John Ankerberg and John Weldon. They are uh, well-known apologists and um, several doctorate degrees. And one of the uh, authors of this book came to know a woman who got involved in yoga. Now, just so you know, I don't believe that everybody who's doing the physical exercises of yoga have opened their lives up to the demonic. But I will say this to you. Those who are the yogis, that would be those who know the history of yoga, which is basically Hinduism, would say to you that you cannot separate the postures from the spiritual aspect of yoga. So this woman got into yoga. She started to practice meditation. And there's a firsthand account in this book of how it started positive and became very dark very quickly. They were sending this woman to psychiatrists, to MDs, to New Age practitioners, and nobody could deliver her. She finally found deliverance by calling on the name of Jesus Christ. She describes multiple spirits in her home. She would leave, things would calm down, and then she would go home and it would get worse and worse and worse and worse. This is, this is the world that the Bible does acknowledge. The Bible says there are principalities and powers. There are dark spiritual forces in heavenly places. That's what the Bible says. If you've ever read the Gospels, are you as sometimes alarmed as I am as how many different demon possession cases Jesus deals with? And it, and it must bring up a question, and here's the question. What was happening in the land of Israel when Jesus entered into the world that so many people had opened themselves up to demon possession? Here's the classic story, and it's found in Mark 5, and I'll just touch on it. It's the story of the man with legion. When we get JT up here, it's become his life verse. And this man lived among the tombs, and he was up there shrieking. And they used to be able to chain the man, and he was breaking the chains and cutting himself and croaking at night. Those who are experts in this field say that one of the goals of the devil is to destroy the image of God in you to take away your humanity because that humanity, that imago Dei in Latin, the image of God, is the stamp or imprint of God. And so he tries to destroy that. When people go to deeper levels of possession, what happens is that they almost become unhuman. This is, these are in biblical accounts. This is something that Jesus did. He went to the other side of the lake and he delivered this, this man. He told the spirit, get out of the man. What is your name? We are legion. <laughs> By the way, in the Roman army, a legion is more than 6,000 troops. I don't know if that's a literal number. That's how many spirits were, had invaded this man's life. But I'll tell you this. He was a walking disaster. Nobody wanted to deal with him anymore. He had supernatural strength. 
He, he was a mess. And Jesus delivered him. The spirits knew who Jesus was. And when Jesus delivered the man, the man sat there clothed and in his right mind, fast forwarding to the end of the story. And the one thing the man wanted to do was wherever you are, Lord, that's where I want to be. Take me with you. I have nothing here. And Jesus said, no, you go to your family. You go to your people and you tell them the great things that God has done for you. And that's what he did. By the way, in that area of the world on the other side of the lake called the area of the Decapolis, it became a stronghold for Christianity. It's an area known as Kersey. And in early church councils, there was always a representative from this area. It would appear the man who formerly had legion had done his job. And so we are to declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now the classic text on the occult and what God thinks about it is found in the book of Deuteronomy. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's chapter 18. Turn there if you would. Deuteronomy 18, verse 9. Now this is near the end of Moses' life and the people of Israel are getting ready to go into the promised land and they are given a warning. Here's the warning, Deuteronomy 18, verse 9. When you enter the land, 18, 9, which the Lord your God gives you, you shall not learn to imitate the detestable, that word in Hebrew means the disgusting, abhorrent, idolatrous things of those nations. Now just park for a moment, turn back to Deuteronomy 9. I want to show you something about the people of Israel going into the promised land and why God was doing what he did. This, this is a lot of people have questions. Why did the people of Israel take the Canaanite lands and you know what right did they have? Check this out. This is Deuteronomy 9, 4. God says, do not say in your heart when the Lord your God has driven you, driven them out before you, the Canaanites, because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. But it is because of the wickedness of those nations that the Lord is dispossessing them before you. It is not for your righteousness or for the uprightness of your heart that you are going to possess their land. But it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God is driving them out before you in order to confirm the oath which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Back to Deuteronomy 18. When you enter that land that I'm driving those people groups out because of their wickedness, I don't want you to do what they do. Now please understand that the main thing that God is saying about those people that dwelt in the area of Canaan is this. They were religiously abominable to God. Their practices, what they did around their religious expression was no less than abominable to God. Now, what we have in the rest of the passage is a little detail. There shall not be found among you, Deuteronomy 18.10, anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire. Now, if you haven't written this down before, just write down the name Molech, M-O-L-E-C-H. Molech was the god of the Ammonites. There's a little bit of shadow in terms of specifically how this worked. 
But the Ammonites had a practice where they would take their children, they would heat up this terrible, disgusting god. Some say that they heated up the arms of the god. Some say that there was sort of a, a belly like a, a pot-bellied stove created in the middle of this so-called deity. They would take a child, put it into the oven of this god, beat drums in some sort of religious hysteria to drown out the cries of the child and offer these children to this deity. You say, for what purpose? They believed by doing so, they could appease these false gods and goddesses to give them productive lands, blessed families, Monetary blessings, religious blessings, protection, you name it. So this is what they did. In the United States, we have an epidemic going on. The epidemic is that of abortion. And much of what happens in that arena is for pragmatic reasons. People do it because they don't think they can handle the child or whatever their reasons are. In the religious history that's embedded in the Old Testament. These people groups did what they did for religious purposes. God says of this practice, this was something that never even entered into my mind that you would do such a thing. And Israel, sadly, even though warned by God, imitated that practice. There were kings called out in the Old Testament that caused their children to pass through the fire. And even Solomon, 1 Kings 11, in his own life as he got older and his, the many foreign women in his life turned his heart away from God, built a high place to Molech. Solomon did that. Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs. Hello. And he did it. He got enraptured by these false deities. And God warns and says, look, I don't want that happening. I don't want anyone using divination. The Hebrew word is kasem. One who practices witchcraft. All of these would be different ways that people practice divination. We'll come back to a definition in a second. Those who, one who uses divination, who practices witchcraft, verse 10, who interprets omens or a sorcerer. I don't want any of these things happening. Now, this is, these are some of what we would call the tools of the occult. Divination is a main word you're going to come across. Here's what it means. Divination is the attempt to obtain hidden, veiled, esoteric, or secret knowledge. It can be the attempt to ascertain the above knowledge about the past, present, or future through interpreting omens, channeling, clairvoyance, palmistry, crystal gazing, tarot cards. I'd recently heard that there's a church in Southern California messing with, messing with some form of tarot cards now, believe it or not. Astrology, which is interpreting the positions of heavenly bodies, analyzing dreams or dream work. They even do these things from the flight of birds and particular implements like the Ouija board. It is the attempt, divination is, to predict or control one's future to gain access to hidden information. And God says, don't do it. Don't mess with it. Don't try to go beyond the veil or behind the veil. By the way, there are stories of Joseph Smith 
who was writing down the Book of Mormon, or there may have been a scribe doing it, who was messing with the occult while writing the early documents of Mormonism. Interestingly enough, that's another subject, but it applies. And so these, what we call divinatory practices, those who try to interpret omens, they practice witchcraft and sorcery. All for what reason? For promises of power, insight, uh, peeking into the past, present, or future. God says in the book of Isaiah, should a people not consult their God? Why is it that we would go beyond the veil and mess in areas that God told us not to mess with? Here's the warning. God says, these things are abominable to me. They are detestable, and I don't want you practicing these things. Verse 11, one who casts a spell. Some of these have some similar meanings to them. A charmer, if you will. A medium, we can see a medium that Saul went to in 1 Samuel, I think it's chapter 28, trying to uh, talk to uh, Samuel. Or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead, which is a term called necromancy. A medium is supposedly one who communicates with the dead, but that person is actually communicating with demons. A spiritist is one who traffics in the world of the spirits or the demonic. A necromancer is one who calls upon the dead, investigating and seeking information from the dead. All of these areas are condemned. God says, don't go there. Don't do it. Don't duplicate what they do. Don't. Now, if God gives that clear of a warning in the scriptures, and there's many other places that we could go, but setting that as a foundation. Is that enough for you? Is that enough for you tonight, if you claim to be a Christian, to stay far away from these kinds of things? I would just say to you, it should be. It should be enough. But there are people who dabble. They dabble on the edges and they, they get themselves in trouble. Verse 12, Deuteronomy 18 says, For whoever does these things is what? Detestable to the Lord. And because of these detestable things, now get this, this is the reason why the Canaanite peoples are being driven out. The Lord your God will drive them out before you. If you ever had a question in this area, this is why the main reason why God gave the promised land to Israel and kicked those peoples out was their practices in the occult. And finally, he says, you shall be blameless before the Lord your God. That doesn't mean perfect. It means blameless in these areas. When it says an elder of the church should be blameless, the Bible already knows that no elder will be perfect. It means that he's to be blameless in the context of what 1 Timothy 3 demands of him. Biblical fidelity and moral uprightness, not perfection. And in the same way, Deuteronomy 18.13, blameless here means don't do those things. For those nations, 14, which you shall dispossess, listen to those who practice witchcraft and to diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do so. Now look at how this finishes. 
The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, Moses is speaking, from among you. From your countrymen, you shall listen to him. In Acts 3.22, if you write it down, the prophet that would come like Moses is named Jesus. And in Luke 9 and Matthew and other places, Jesus has what we call a moment called the transfiguration. He's up there and he's communicating with two individuals. Do you remember who they were? Moses and Elijah. And the glory cloud envelops the mount. And God says, God the Father says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Jesus Christ is the voice we must be tuned into. Not the voices of the occult. Not people who are trafficking in this nonsense. It's just not where you want to go. Listen to him. You know, I, I was amazed when JT and Robert walked in in their suits. Are you guys impressed? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I don't look nice for you guys. I wore a tie earlier, but you guys are making me look bad now. It's just not fair. Anyway, this is JT, McKinsey. Hi. Robert. Hi. And Dave. All right. Now, I know that most of the people that are here tonight did not want to hear me teach. (laughs) They want to hear from you guys. So let's, let's talk about a little bit about just kind of what happened with the, the backdrop of this story. Okay. Um, first of all, I have a history with the Richards family. I had the privilege of coaching this young man. I think you were maybe 10, 11 when we started. If not younger, about eight or nine, actually. Okay. Up until uh, teen years. So yeah. All of uh, Little League at West Corona. So I had, like you said, I had the privilege to be able to play baseball under Coach Mike, and it was uh, a privilege. And it was a privilege for me to coach yeah. you. And so uh, before we get to the night that all of this went down and all that goes with that, let's talk a little bit about your journey. So um, you grew up in a Christian family. Very strong Christian family. Uh, My sisters, my dad, my mom, and even grandparents, uh, all extremely strong Christians. Um, So I was raised in a very strong Christian family and household and I grew up in a church. But I think for, uh, as many of you may relate to church was not a relationship for me. It became very much like a routine, something that I felt like I had to go to be able to please other people. It was not a relationship, and it was a place that I didn't want to go to. Um, and like I'm sure every single one of us can relate to, life got difficult. There's challenges that arose. Uh, my dad, um, strongest and um, role model for me, honestly, uh, strongest man I know because he battled cancer twice and defeated it twice. So if we can, uh, could we give him a round of applause for that? So, JT, um, you told me that when we reflected on this night and talked a little bit about, you know, your history growing up, you were part of the church, but you didn't really have a personal relationship with the Lord. And then as time went on, you kind of just drifted. Tell us a little bit about what happened. So I'm someone that needs to fully 
believe in something if I'm going to support it. I mean, if I can't back it, then I'm not going to preach it. And so with all this going on, um, as a result, unfortunately, a house that I grew up in, a whole family was affected by it. Um, we had to move out of it. And it's something that took a huge toll on my life because I grew up with all my best friends. I literally ran that neighborhood and all of that little area next to Ralph on, uh, Ralph on Green River, if you, if you guys know where that's at. Um, but then besides just that aspect of it, um, I was kind of pretty good at baseball. And then I go into high school with all these expectations, or um, in baseball. And I go into high school and had all these high expectations and was doing great in wintertime, but then all this stuff kind of started to have a ripple effect with the house and uh, didn't go the way that I planned to at all. And instead of blaming myself, um, I kind of blamed God. I kind of figured that Okay, everything happens for a reason, so Jesus must not be real. And there's kind of a few incidents that I had where I wanted signs, I asked for signs, and I felt like I got signs kind of drifting in the other way. So then I started to lose trust, and as a result, I lost faith completely. And during this process, um, I kind of, I, I don't, I wouldn't say that I was necessarily drifting into like researching cults or anything like that, but I was definitely looking to uh, like self religious type of stuff like spiritual guidance, uh, yoga, uh, meditation, stuff of that nature to be able to find some type of spiritual connection because although I didn't think that God or other religions were um, how they're preached and taught about, um, I thought that there had to be something out there that I could go and find and be able to go to for uh, comfort or I guess courage and stuff like that. Uh, So during this process I started having these like really weird dreams where I was like running away from something. And the more that I became aware in these dreams that I was running away from something, like it was almost like I was paralyzed. Like um, paralyzed meaning slowing down. So like imagine if you're just running full speed and then you start going slow motion and you're becoming more and more aware of the fact that you're running away from something and you can't run. Everything around you is just speeding up, but you're just completely still. And I'd wake up and have these just sweat. So my whole bed was just drenched in sweat. And didn't think anything of it. Maybe it was like puberty type of stuff. I have no idea, right? So, <laughs> um, how, how old were you when this started, would you say? It was, it was ninth grade, so... 14, 15? About 14, yeah, okay. about 14, 15. Yeah. Um, and then during... I had a, 10 of those gyms that I remember specifically, and during uh, this process, sounds crazy, but it happened. So I was laying in my bed, and have you guys ever been so afraid of something, so terrified that you become completely paralyzed by fear where you just have these tears just pouring out of your eyes and you can't control it you can't move a muscle you can't even think and you're just shaking and you're just nervous as can be and in the corner of my room uh, lights were on and everything there's just six seven eight foot tall um like sounds weird but it happened so it was a man right like this like spirit black type of thing didn't have any legs it was like misty kind of like at the bottom but what i saw was like a beak um, and two dark eyes, nothing else other than kind of just the figure. And I stood there, like technically laid there, uh, just in fear, just shaking, paralyzed without being able to do anything. And that went on for about two to three minutes. I'd close my eyes, I'd open them, I'd close my eyes and open them. There it was still just staring in front of me. And I, again, I was not religious at this point because by this point I'd already drifted away and started to look into yoga, meditation type of stuff, but I wasn't fully committed or bought into any of it. About two or three minutes go by, close my eyes on like the fifth or sixth time, and um, it was gone. And I was kind of like in disbelief, like, the heck just happened? Like, did this really just happen? And I closed my eyes one more time, and I opened, and it was like this white orb 
type of thing, and it sounds so strange, but I remember finding so much peace in it. And for most of you guys, you'll probably be like, well, that's a perfect sign, like it's an angel, like God was there. God was able to send this angel to protect me, but that's not how I looked at it at all. I just looked at it as, okay, there's good and there's evil, but I still don't think that is how any religion is portraying it. I just know that there's definitely some type of spirits out there that are much, much greater than um, I am. Now, you had uh, a couple of experiences where some dark things happened, and you described one of them. And then I think that night that I came over, um, you talked about a couple other occurrences that were nearer to the present time. Describe a little bit of that. Um, Present time during the hospital or present time at the old house? Let's talk about the old house. Okay, so the, and after that incident had happened, I had two more dreams, and about two days later, um, I had, was upstairs. I was home alone. It was about 6 or 7 o'clock at night, and uh, I had walked downstairs. There was a friend of mine there, and we were about to watch TV, and I, I just had this weird feeling walking downstairs, and I just stopped, and I said out loud, I feel like I'm going to be possessed, and instantly I had that fear overtake me. My body just started trembling. I had tears flowing from my eyes, and... I was, I was paralyzed in fear, unable to move, and the lights shut off. The TV shut off, and then it went static, and then it shut off again. The living room that um, I was standing in front of got extremely dark, and on the left side of the room, I was able to see kind of the same type of presence. Um, I'm not sure if my friend saw it, but she was able to see all this other stuff going on, so uh, she was a witness and was terrified, and I don't blame her. Um, after a few minutes of standing paralyzed looking at um, this Mostly darkness. I saw mostly darkness rather than figure in this. Um, but uh, two or three minutes go by, and uh, got the courage to run outside. And all the other street lights were on, all of them except for my house. And still went back in the into my living room. Tears just flowing from my eyes. I'm like the most craziest feeling that you could possibly think of. Just it was mostly fear and <laughs> uncertainty of what I was seeing, what I was experiencing, what was going to happen, um, if it was going to go away, um, and then. Eventually, I guess it did. I kind of just left. Um, I had shared the experience with my dad, but like you guys probably could imagine, he didn't really believe me, you know, probably just like a nightmare or something like that because it's movie-like, you know, that doesn't really happen. And uh, again, was not religious. That did not drive me to God. That did not drive me to a church. That drove me more to like a spiritual type of place where I got more into like yoga and meditation and stuff like that. You described... uh a moment in your backyard, I think you said you were, where you were meditating on what's called chakras. And chakras are allegedly, according to uh, this teaching, and it connects with yoga, seven um, psychic center points of your body. Uh, in, In teaching behind yoga... The, the, the teaching is that the kundalini, uh, a white coiled serpent, believe it or not, rests at the base of your spine. That white coiled serpent is released through the postures of yoga and then eventually creeps its way up to the crown of your head, I think is how the teaching goes. You were, uh, as you read this book on chakras, you were, you, you were uh, chanting did, were you, did you have a mantra? Um, it wasn't like a specific type of chant, but just how we prayed to God. I was type of praying, but it wasn't to like God specifically. So um, as I mentioned, um, there was a drive to be able to find 
that power that maybe hasn't been identified yet, or maybe it's just like an inner type of thing that I have to go and discover myself. Um, so as I got more and more into yoga, I got into chakras and I bought a book and uh, basically like a beginner to chakras. And it describes that visual people, which I'm pretty visual myself, you could actually get to a point where you could start to um, see the different colors and start to feel these different energies of which all these different chakras um, pertain and stuff like that. And, so, what the, and what they talk about is that you have to align yeah. these chakras yeah. or energy points to to arrive where you're supposed to get. Enlightenment, yeah. basically, mm -hmm. is the goal. So when you, you saw this color and you described an overwhelming, like, Our, powerful experience, what was that like? So when... I talk about being in my backyard doing these yoga postures and stuff. I'm not talking about for a few minutes. I'm talking about 30 minutes, uh, sometimes even up to an hour. And he talked to, uh, just uh, talked about uh, like this. It was a red-orange energy color that I would start to see. Um, and I thought I was doing the chakras, right? Because it said that visual people could start to see the colors and feel the power. And when I say power, it was a power like I've never felt before in my entire life. Like I... I <coughs> I'm very ambitious. Um, I run a visual marketing firm alongside with Robert and other uh, partner, uh, Conrad. But with that and then even a few other ventures I was doing, um, everything just went straight downhill. I played baseball in high school and I, and even under Coach Mike, and projected myself to be playing professional baseball. I'm not doing that today, and I, I'm bittersweet about it, but I think everything happens for a reason, and uh, I think that reason is still playing itself out. Um, but with everything that kind of happens, uh, the power that I felt with this red-orange type of thing was something that I never felt before. And Do you feel that that was the moment that, because I, I think you said that was February, March of last year. Yeah. yeah. Do you feel like that was the moment that something came into you, that something dark came into you? Um, my wonderful girlfriend, Kinsey, um, has been very religious since it starts. And it's pretty cool because on her prayer card, uh, she goes to Vanguard University, but she actually put for her prayer request for me to be able to find Christ and um, did, got baptized. And so it's pretty um, <laughs> <laughs> amazing on that side of it. But from uh, the religious standpoint from a few months ago when I was not Christian, she would, I guess, defend, but then also preach and kind of open me up to Christianity and stuff like that. And she talked about how Satan is the king of deception. And at the time when I felt this power, like I said, I thought all my businesses and all these other things were going to just take off and life was going to go the way that I expected it to go. And it was deception the whole entire time. Looking back on it, I was idolizing a false god without even realizing it. Mackenzie, um, we'll t bring you into this for a second. So here you are, you're attending Vanguard University. And I, and I had a question. And yeah. my question was, and, and I kind of asked this when we had a chance to talk, mm -hmm. what were you doing dating a guy like this. Right? <clears throat> Look at this but, face, Mike. I mean, I know, I know okay. he's strapping and good looking. And I, I like her. Let's leave that out of it. But, but, but here you are, a committed Christian. And you felt, you, you told me that you didn't feel, feel like the Lord kind of released you. You, you felt like second. he was really calling you to pray for him. It was the weirdest thing, and I'm not into, like, missionary dating or anything like that. Um, <laughs> don't thank, do that. Thank, thank you for clarifying <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Um, I had known him since my junior year of high school, and I, we, like, lost contact for a couple years, and on our first date, I told him my background. I'm like, you got to realize that I'll love Jesus more than I'll ever love you. And he was like, okay, 
And he was like, just know I'm not a Christian. And I was like, not yet. (laughs) I don't know. And I even um, talked to my teacher about it. And my teacher, she later, because she knows the whole story and stuff, but she would normally like tell people that you have to let go of those relationships because, you know, we're not called to... um, to date people of other religions and stuff and um, other beliefs. And she was like, not for a second did I ever think to tell you to break up with him or break it off or anything. So that was super cool. (laughs) So as as things got progressed, and we're talking about from the spring of uh, last year to the point that we all came together on the night of November 10th, we'll, we'll fast forward for a second. You had this experience, you saw these colors, you, you, you described it as a power that you've never felt before. But then things began to shift a little bit. And you said that when McKinsey would bring up church and stuff, and you even did this the night I came, you may not remember this, but you were kind of angry about church. You were angry about God. Yep. You talked about, you know, the church is in it for money. I know you struggled with some of the other verses regarding animals, which we won't go there tonight. But Genesis 1, 29 through 30, <laughs> veganism. <laughs> We're going to work on JT on that one. But anyway, so, so in this time, did things get progressively darker? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like I said, I thought everything was going to skyrocket, but it didn't. It went straight downhill um, from life standpoints, but then also on health standpoints. So in September, um, I got pretty sick. It was a two-week process of me vomiting blood, and um, I lost 15 pounds um, and other type of symptoms that were going on that weren't necessarily under or explainable. I went through blood work, different type of tests, uh, got another endoscopy done, and all of it was coming back negative, so it wasn't really adding up or making sense. But then uh, basically just mask, masked the problem for a little bit. And then in November um, is when everything kind of got even worse. Um, it was a Tuesday. I had woken up, just felt like I was absolutely hit by a train, had zero energy at all, um, was in a pretty bad mood, uh, but didn't feel well. And within like the next five, 10 minutes of waking up, I was in the bathroom vomiting blood uh, pretty violently and uh, progressed to other issues, which um, don't need to describe, but yeah, it wasn't, wasn't all that pretty, nor that comfortable. It's pretty painful, actually. You ended up in the hospital? Yeah, so uh, Kenzie's wonderful grandparents and my grandpa, uh, Pop Pop. Um, my mom was in Colorado visiting my other sisters, and my dad was at work. Um, and she was at school, and so I was, um, ha- it, was it went on uh, for a few hours uh, to the point where I'd called my doctors um, and then got a call back and said that if it happens again, I need to go to the emergency room, um, and they suggest that I go anyways, and so they uh, thankfully took me to the emergency room, so thank you for that. Um, and then the emergency room is uh, more of her behalf because I honestly don't remember hundred percent of it at all. Um, it's kind of let's, crazy. let's transition there. So Mackenzie, um, you had a week of pretty dark stuff happening. Hell, <laughs> literal, <laughs> a hell. week of hell. And, um, I told JT later, you better marry this girl because <laughs> she it. stuck through you through this stuff. This is a, this is a good woman. Yeah. Anyway, <clears throat> so He's in the hospital, you're there with him, and an episode occurred. Um, Describe what you saw. So, it's actually so weird. Um, 
there were three separate times that it happened. And the first time he, you know, was just talking to me and he, it was like he passed out. And for some unknown reason, I just got the urge to put my hands on him and start praying for evil to get out. Um, nothing but the Holy Spirit would have led me to do that because I've, I'm, I'm just like, I don't look at someone who passes out and be like, God, please save you. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I just, so that was weird. And he started convulsing. Like, um, you see in the movies actually happens. Like the back raises, you shake, their, their eyes roll backwards. It was absolutely terrifying, but not at the moment. Um, looking back on it now it is. But, um, you know, and after like five minutes of me just putting my hands on him and praying for evil to get out um, in the name of Jesus, he woke up and he was like, hey, did the doctors come back with the results? And I was just like, uh. (laughs) And so I was like, okay, maybe it was a coincidence. Maybe he just passed out and was having a bad dream or something. And so I was like, okay, let's just continue. I can do this. And then... um, So we kept talking and like 30 minutes passes by and then we're talking about his dog Bentley and how he had taken her to the park that day. And then in the middle of a sentence, he passes out again. And so I do the same thing and I put my hands on him and start praying and this time it got um, progressively worse. Like he sat up, eyes rolled backwards so it was just the whites of his eyes showing and he was smiling and saying no. And it was not his voice. Um... It was something that I would have never thought that I would experience in my life. I didn't think that this stuff happened modern day. I was like, okay, well, that stuff stopped when Jesus went back to heaven, right? Um, But no, it's very much real. And I was very confused by everything. And, um, you know, so I kept praying for him. And again, he just wakes up. And this time he woke up completely disoriented and was... um, confused on where we were he kept saying you left you left a long time ago and I was like no I've been right here the whole time and if you want to tell what your dream was um so the uh, incidents of what she's talking about praying over me I don't remember uh, but I do remember the dream and in my hospital bed there was a light right above the bed and um uh, Emma uh, had left um, to go back to corona and in the dream she had went to and um, there's nobody in the hospital, but I could tell that I was in the hospital room because I was in the same exact room. And there was a curtain, and then outside uh, was a hallway that led straight and then left and right. And at the, like I was basically just laying there alone and fine, but felt very like cold and kind of felt like uh, uncomfortable, if you will. And the light above me had shut off, um, and then so the whole room was completely dark. And then the left light in the hallway shut off, and then the light in front had shut off. So there's only a light to the right hand side. And I got an urge to be able to get up because it felt like my stomach was burning me. And so I pulled out my IV. I undid the uh, arm strap for the heart monitor, I believe it was. Um, And then I stood up. And the more I walked towards the curtain, the more burning sensation that I had inside of my stomach. And I I got to the point where I got to the curtain and went to go undo it. And as soon as I did that, I got, like, pulled straight back to my bed and woke up. And then that's when I was confused um, as far as where I was. Now, you had the wherewithal in this moment to take a little video that you said you put on Snapchat. <laughs> no, I did not put it on Snapchat. <laughs> well, you, I would never you, do that. You saved it. I though. saved it because I panicked and I was like, nobody's going to believe me. And so I had one hand on him praying and I had the other hand with the video like recording him. And so I have, you know, these, these videos as like 
I don't know, evidence, because um, cause it is what it is. And, you know, you can see his eyes roll backwards and you can see him shaking. And um, that was what day that all that went down? That was Tuesday. Had it been. And I came over Thursday? Thursday. Tenth, okay. So probably November. So no, that was November 8th. And then, okay, so yes. Dave, I'm going to bring you into this for a second. So as a dad, you're JT's dad, um, Finally, you got to the point where you reached out to me and you texted me. I, I happened to be on the treadmill at the time, and it's, it's true. I was. <clears throat> I'm so grateful to get a text on the treadmill. Gives you an excuse to get off, you know? But anyway, do you remember what you texted me? Put, put it up the mic, see. I thought I gave you the excuse. Uh, I don't remember exactly what I texted you other than uh, something that was really weird with my son, and I could really use your help. What do you do for a living? I'm a police detective. You're a police detective? Correct. Um, I know you've seen all kinds of probably bizarre stuff, but the things that we saw that night, you told me later, it was almost like analytically you knew your Bible, right? But to see what we saw... How would you describe it as a dad? To touch on it, you touched on it with uh, uh, when JT and Robert got baptized. When we walked out the door, I looked at you and said, what just happened? Because even though I know I've been a Christian since I was a young kid, I've stepped away from God at times. I've been the prodigal son at times. Um, I have faith in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I know that there's the supernatural but that's analytical knowledge oh, until November 10th. It was analytical knowledge because I knew it was there, just yeah. really never experienced it. And uh, definitely experienced it that night. You, you reached out to me, and uh, I think you had asked if I would talk to you. And uh, I remember, um, I think you had me on speaker because I, then I heard McKinsey's voice. And my, my idea when I heard this Strange things are happening, you know, would you, would you be willing to talk to JT? Was, of course, uh, you know, I love him, and I hadn't seen him for a long time, but yeah, I'd be happy to talk to him. And uh, then they called me, you guys called me about five minutes later, and I recall <coughs> me saying, hey, why don't we meet at a coffee house, because um, I'd, I'd rather just talk to you guys face to face. And Mackenzie was like, can you come over? <laughs> like, public is not the place to do yeah. this. <laughs> now... Before we go to that night, earlier in between, um, I think it was that afternoon, you said you guys ended up at a restaurant. Yes, we were at Flame Broiler, and I'm sitting there looking across the table at my possessed boyfriend, <laughs> and he's just like zoning in and out, and I'm like watching his every move like a hawk. I'm like, where's he? Oh, he's getting water. Okay. He's sitting back down. Like, oh, he's in the bathroom. What the heck? Is he dying in there? Like my mind was just in a billion different places and it had been since Tuesday because Tuesday at the hospital, I knew he was possessed. I knew that there was evil in him and that we needed to do something about it. I, um, you know, after the second incident, I like told him I had to go to the bathroom and I ran outside and I called my mom and Emma and I was like, what do I do? I was crying and I was like, what is happening? And, um, they basically described it really well. They said, you know at SeaWorld when you walk through the tank with the sharks and you're looking around 
and you can see the sharks, but they can't touch you. And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, that's how you are because you're saved by the Holy Spirit. It's a great mm, analogy. Praise God. So um, that afternoon that preceded the evening, you told me he was, he went in the garage and did some weird oh things. Gosh. So if there was like the wee, 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 scary music playing behind me, I think I would have lost my mind because he went out into the garage to get a water bottle and I'm on the phone with his sister because we had been telling her like everything that had been happening since Tuesday um and Kaylee his sister starts trying to like talk to him and I'm like oh he went into the garage to grab a water bottle I should go see what's going on and they have a sensor light in their garage that turns out off like after about five minutes and I walk out the sensor light is off and he's standing staring into the corner And I walked over and I walked around him and I go like this, nothing. He's just blank. And I pointed to the corner and I was like, there's evil there. And he didn't move. And so I just grabbed his shoulder and I started rebuking it in the name of Jesus. And he started falling into me and I call for Robert because Robert was there. And as soon as I call for Robert, he's like, why are you screaming in my ear? And like snaps back into it. And I'm like, wow. Like he doesn't remember any of it. So during that three day span, I was like on my own basically. Cause I told him and he's like, well, God's, God's working in ways, you know? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so was I wrong? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, they, they do say that, um, a catatonic state where someone is just like not there can be a sign. Um, and this is something that JT uh, kind of demonstrated when we'll get to the story in a second. But Robert, I'm going to bring you in for a second. So you're a buddy of JT's. You had two, you've been to church twice in your life yeah. up to this point? Yeah, correct. So um, Jared and I met not too long ago before all this happened. Um, growing up, I was never really raised Christian or religi- religious at that point. Um, I've been to church really twice in my life. Once was a Catholic, um, with my grandma, a Catholic church when I was a kid. Um, once was at Crossroads Church when I was junior high. And I also went, because I'm, I'm also in the military, so every Sunday we would go to church. And I, I would just go to church just so I can get away from all the training. And so, <laughs> and, you know, and maybe catch them sleep. Um, so I never, I was never really into it. Never really got into it. Um, so this... What happened with all of us was definitely from going from zero to 100 like that. And, um, yeah. So that, let's fast forward to the night of November 10th. So I, I showed up at your house at about 9 o'clock in the evening. Uh, Dave came out and met me on the front lawn. He said, I can't really explain to you what's going on, except there's some strange things happening. And I said, well, let's just go, let's just go see so we walked in the house. Um, this, is, this is your house. And JT greeted me very politely. Hey, coach, how you doing? He gave me a hug. I met Mackenzie, met Robert. Uh, they said that they had a cat. So I wanted to move to the kitchen table because I'm a little allergic to cats. I do not believe cats are Christians, but that's another story. <clears throat> so... I end up really offending people when I say that. So, but anyway, it is what it is. So we, we sat at the kitchen table, and since they had described a hospital moment, 
Uh, I said, you know, they, they were describing some of the phenomenon that you had heard. And I said, well, and I had heard that he was given some morphine. And so my, I'm naturally skeptical. And so I said, well, there could be a natural or a supernatural explanation to that. Now, when I said natural or supernatural, I looked at McKinsey and McKinsey was like, Now, I had no idea the three days that this girl had been through, not to mention the other stuff that happened before that. But she looked at me and she was like, "Mm -mm. (laughs) something different going on here. Well, I said it could either be natural or supernatural. The moment I said supernatural, JT became catatonic. He went, boom. He, He just froze and he was looking past me. He was like this. And so I, I was like, well, hmm. So I, I kept talking. And I'm used to people not listening to me, so this is not a new revelation. People sleeping in church. But anyway, so about 30, 60 seconds goes by, and I think it was McKenzie who started to shake JT, and they were going like this to him, and then he, he came back. I said, JT, do you remember what I said to you? And he was able to tell me what I had said before he went catatonic, before he went into that blank stare. So I started talking again, and I was talking about Christianity and the Bible, and zoop, he went into that catatonic state again. And he just started looking right past me. So then I went, okay. So I asked Dave if they had any olive oil in the house. And I, based upon James chapter five, I said, JT, I'm going to anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord. And I'm going to pray for you. So Dave got a coffee, coffee cup. He poured some olive oil, uh, handed me the cup. I stuck my finger into the coffee cup and I began to go around the kitchen table to make my way to JT. And as I came towards him, that's when it started. He began to sway His head kind of hit the table. He turned to me and all I saw was the whites of his eyes. His eyes rolled back in the back of his head and uh, it just got really strange and serious really fast. And so I I remember just putting my hand on your head, JT, and I I think I had a hand on his back and dad was there too. and, And we just started to pray. Now, they later asked me, Pastor Michael, have you ever run into anything like this? And I said, nope. (laughs) I've heard the stories. I've been in some really strange situations. But when JT's head turned to me and all I saw was the whites of his eyes, I went, okay. Michael. uh, Go ahead. When you, you, uh, after you said, talked to him about supernatural natural and Mackenzie gave you that look, got the olive oil for you and you walked around. The look on your face was, oh, I've not done to this before and why'd I get off the treadmill? Yeah. Um, I I should have stayed on the treadmill tonight. I will tell you that I burned more calories praying for him than I would have on the treadmill. He he was doing everything he could to prevent you from getting your hand on him and anointing him. Say that one more time. He, He was doing everything he could to prevent you from anointing him with oil and from touching him at that time. I could see him turning around and you were trying to anoint his forehead with oil and he wanted no part of it. And, and I would say it wasn't him. Correct. Um, but I felt, I, I said it as baptism, I felt two overwhelming emotions. One was the authority and power of Jesus Christ. Two was a deep love for him. Probably, probably 
those two come close together. But deep down, I was also like, and I think, Mackenzie, you said it, is this really happening? Like, this is... Yeah, I was like, at one point, I started laughing during the exorcism because I looked up from the table and I, you know, see us all praying and his eyes are rolled backwards and he's like hitting his head against the table and I'm like, what is happening? And just my life for the past three days had just felt like this weird, surreal movie where like I would get in my car after being at his house and I would just be like, what the heck is going on? Because, yeah, it was just nuts. As we prayed, we probably prayed for about 15 minutes over JT, crying out to Jesus, uh, taking authority in the name of Jesus, quoting scripture, telling the Lord that we trust him to deal with this evil. Um, When I laid my hand on JT's head, you felt like you had about 104 fever. Um, And I asked you afterwards how you felt, and you told me you felt cold, which was really bizarre. But at some point during the prayer, I just felt led to say, JT, you need to cry out to Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And uh, McKenzie was telling me that he had a moment in the house where he, he would stop and he was just staring at the crosses in the house. Every cross. He went around to every single cross that his parents have in his house and he lo- like noticed them for the first time, I guess, and like went around. He's like, I've never seen that one before and went around to all of them before Pastor Mike came over. He also was struggling to say the name Jesus. Since Uh, we started dating. He just couldn't get it out of him. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I was like, well, maybe it's for religious, you know, whatever. I I shouldn't have blown it off, but I was like, okay, um, I don't know about that. And then as things progressed, it made absolute sense. So the only thing he said during the time we were praying for him is, they're burning me. They're burning me. And he was kind of talking about his side. So we began to just exhort him to really just pray the sinner's prayer, to call out to Jesus. And quietly he began to pray after me. Lord Jesus, come into my life. I'm sorry for my sin. He began to pray the sinner's prayer quietly. And he got a little stronger as he prayed it. And as he got that prayer out, things calmed and began to dissipate. And he took, there was a water bottle sitting on the table. And after he had prayed that prayer, he took the water bottle, went, and pretty much down the bottle of water in about two seconds. And uh, I'll let you speak for yourself, but you don't really remember any of that, do you? No, it's crazy hearing uh, these for people who I love and trust a lot, tell you all these things that are going on uh, from the hospital to Thursday night to Wednesday evening, even with uh, Robert and having no remembrance of it at all, trying to, but not. And it, it, it is a very odd, strange feeling, being aware to the fact that there's a spiritual battle going over or yeah, going on over you and there's people fighting and praying for you and you don't remember any of it. It's, it's crazy. Now, once we had a sense, and we didn't, I didn't see anything physically, but we had a sense just from his demeanor that whatever that thing was, was gone. Mackenzie said something very insightful. She looked at me and said, I'm concerned about him, and she pointed to Robert. She said, he is not a Christian. And I've heard that when these things leave somebody, they look for someone or something else to inhabit. 
I'm concerned about him. Now, this whole time, I was focused on JT and on praying for him. And I, Robert was to my right. And I looked at Robert after McKinsey gave that incredible insight from a young lady really thinking on her feet. That's pretty cool, right? I didn't even think of that. I looked at Robert and said, Robert, do you need any more reason to become a Christian right now? And Robert said, no, tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. (laughs) Robert, this is one of the great conversion stories of all time. What would you add to that? How did you feel in that moment? What would you say about it? The whole thing? It's like, well, just, just like your experience when you saw what you saw and then opening your heart to Christ. Um, if I had to put in one word, it would be surreal. Uh, surreal? Surreal, because like I said, it's from going to, not going to church or not even reading the Bible or even owning a Bible um, to going through, I guess, an exorcism. <laughs> that's that's you know, and what so, it's called. <laughs> yeah, so now I believe that like, God puts things in your life for a reason. And there is no reason why. I mean, there's, there's, God gave me a reason that I met Jared and experienced this. Because with, without this experience, I don't think I would have <coughs> opened up my, my life to Jesus Christ. Um, so for that, I'll be forever grateful. And I think right here, and you can clap for that, because I think that's where clapping is. <clears throat> I, think, I think what we'd want to say is we want to give God the glory. Absolutely. And uh, I remember we walked out into your front lawn. It was about 11 o'clock. Time seemed to go by so quickly. And not only, Dave, did you say to me, Mike, what just happened here? But you said, I don't know how to thank you. And I said, don't thank me because I would have nothing to have brought to this evening if it wasn't for the grace of God. And uh, we give him the glory. So um, I think that's another D that I'd want to lay out to you. You know, We talked about a definition of the occult. We talked about um, Deuteronomy 18. We talked about doorways. And one doorway I think you can see tonight that JT opened up a door And uh, something frightening happened, but deliverance happened because the power of Jesus Christ is greater than any power, any demonic power. And uh, amen. So um, I guess a final final word, a final takeaway, anything that you'd want to share before we move on to questions. I'll just kind of go, let's start down with Dave and we'll come this way. Dave, anything that you'd want to share? You know, for, for years, again, GT was raised in a Christian home. I'm a Christian, and, and so is my wife and my other two children. And a lot of this I attributed to, uh, he's a 17, 20, you know, 20-year-old boy, you know, just doing what 20-year-old boys do. And, and uh, there was obviously more to it than that. I was kind of rationalizing a lot of it, and, you know, except for his medical issues and God bless Mackenzie for coming through and seeing all that. Praise God. Yeah. yeah well, and uh, don't, don't, uh, don't rationalize it. If you think something's going on, don't rationalize it. Look into it further because, thank God she did because I wasn't looking into it further. And, uh, you know, you just don't know uh, where things will go. And, and uh, I mean, I, I look out now and, and 
after all this happened, like I said, I, we deal with facts and, and analytical things and what we see and, and uh, this is something we can't see, but it sure as heck was there. And um, afterwards, I asked you if you would um, pray over my house because again, the evil spirits will leave and looking, look for something else to inhabit. And I asked you to pray over my house just because I just wanted to make sure that, that nothing else was there. And, and we went upstairs and prayed over JT's room. And uh, then we walked into the loft area and you and I and JT held hands and JT prayed and asked for protection over our house. And he prayed in the name of Jesus. Jesus. Absolutely. That was awesome. Completely changed, completely changed person. Amen. Robert, any final words for us? Um, I do not have any final words. Just, it's okay. Speechless. Yeah. Kinsey, what would you close with? I actually have one last story because this one's actually super um, powerful. And it was the third uh, episode at the hospital. Um, Emma had come back. And she had known what was going on. And at this point, JT had known too because I showed him the videos of himself. And I was like, dude, look at what's going on. Um, And so we start kind of talking about it. And she starts asking him, you know, if he's ever played with Ouija boards or anything like that. And then she just kind of slowly starts talking about scripture. And he slips into an episode. And so she, you know, got to witness that firsthand. Um, And you know, he was just convulsing again, eyes rolling backwards, the whole thing. And she's saying scripture over him and I'm praying for him to call out to Jesus. And he starts calling out for me. He starts saying, Kenzie, Kenzie, help me. And I'm like, I can't help you. And he's like, um, or I said, you have to call in the name of Jesus because I, I can't help you. And he says, I can't. And I'm like, yes, you can. And he said, if I do, they'll kill me. And I said, no, Satan is the king of deception. You do not listen to that. You call on the name of the Lord. And he says, the demons, they're in my stomach. And at that point, everything made sense for me because he had been in the hospital. He had gotten a CT, blood work, stool sample, every test that you could possibly think of. I think it racked up to like $10,000 or something without insurance, but that like was done and nothing. And so... You know, I just kept telling him to call out, and finally he called out. And he just said, you know, under his breath, Jesus, my Lord and Savior, Jesus, you know, saying stuff like that. And at that point, Amma started saying Lord's Prayer, and she said, Our Father, which art in heaven. And then he said, Hallowed be thy name. And I know that he doesn't know any scripture. And so when I was hearing him say something and then her say it right after. Like I, I'm, I've been a Christian all my life. I don't even know the Lord's prayer by heart and, um, (laughs) kind of (laughs) sad. Sorry. I saw you put your head down. (laughs) Whoops. (laughs) You'll learn it it tonight. (laughs) I I know it now, (laughs) but, um, but he said every word except for our father, which art in heaven first before her. And by the time I, he got to lead us not into temptation, I was just bawling my eyes out because I, I knew that it was the Holy Spirit flowing through him. And I, you know, so many people pray for signs. And I, here I was just going to the hospital. I thought to, to visit my sick boyfriend. And then I ended up getting to experience the Holy Spirit firsthand. And 
as soon as he said amen, he put his head down on that pillow and he woke up and he was like, hey, you know, did the doctors come back with results? And and I'm sitting there bawling my eyes out and he looks at me and his mood changes and he's like, what happened? You know, he thought that they had come back with like really bad results or something. And I just asked him, I was like, do you know any scripture? And he said, no, why? And I just bawled again. And I... um told him what had happened and then I kissed him and I went to register for classes for next semester. <laughs> Do you have a final word? Um, I, I'm a huge believer in the fact that everything happens for a reason. I know that God has a plan for each and every one of us and I think if you're sitting out there today doubting or wondering why things happen or are happening to you, you just got to trust. See, I lost trust and I'm saved because I found that trust again and with that trust came faith and just call out to him and trust in his plan for you because there is a plan and it's going to work itself out the way that you want it to work out. You just may not have that answer yet, but get yourself surrounded with the right community, you know, like, and um, when things get bad, like it's life, things are going to go the way that we don't expect them to go. And instead of pointing the finger and blaming God, sometimes you got to just be able to step back and realize that everything happens for a reason. We just have to trust in that. And today, I think all of us are sitting here today because of Luke 8, I think it's 38 through 39, after Jesus, God, Jesus, had um, got the demons out, and he, uh, the man who was possessed and now saved wanted to be by God's side. And God told him, go tell everybody about the wonderful things that Jesus has done for you. And to that, or for that reason, I give all the glory to God, and thank you for coming. All right. So, glory Thank to you. God. So, um, we have a few brief moments for Q and A, uh, and here's the questions. Okay. So, let me just transition uh, us into dealing with some questions. We've got about ten minutes, so I'm going to do my best with what you've submitted. What Jesus said in Matthew six twenty three about the darkness in you being light. Can that correlate to supposed white magic, such as Wiccan, etc.? If so, how are some practical ways we can discern that as the issue? Jesus is the light of the world, as are we. Can you give us some loving methods of exposing the facade of artificial light? Or is it all spiritual? Well, I mean, you know, we, we talked about in 2 Corinthians 11 that the devil masquerades as an angel of light. Lucifer, one meaning of that name is light bearer. So when you think about uh, something that looks positive or illuminating, it doesn't make it true. Uh, That same chapter says there's another Jesus, another spirit, and another gospel. So what you need is discernment. By the way, there's no such thing as white magic. Magic is magic. If you're calling upon the occult, then you are in the realm of the demonic. If there's anything authentically supernatural, you're messing with things that you should not mess with. The difference between white and black magic, as some people try to differentiate it, is really biblically just nonsense. God's light is God's light, and what is demonic is a false light. Okay? So that's, that's how you would distinguish it. And you would do that by testing everything by Scripture.
Go to your Bible first. If your name is written in the book of life, you were baptized, then you turn away and live an unbeliever's lifestyle. Are you still saved going to heaven? I know he has dabbled a little bit, but I don't know how deep he got. Um, you know, only God knows. Because in the parable of the wheat and the tares, the parable of the soils, Jesus talks about how the seed hits certain lives or someone looks like a true wheat plant and they could be a tear in the wheat field. Even Judas Iscariot, who ends up demonically possessed at the Last Supper, the other disciples don't know that he's the betrayer. That's how good he was at masquerading. So I will say this. Those questions about eternal security and can someone you know, go off like a prodigal, get involved in mysticism or spiritism or you name it and still be a true Christian, that's in God's hands. But I'll just say this to you. I do believe that people who go this way end up being disciplined by God or get a wake-up call from God. Is it possible that you could belong to God and go, you know, go off for a season in a wrong direction? Certainly, we've all probably done that. But I will just say that question I would leave to God, but I would also say, just don't go there to begin with. Just stay abiding in Christ. And then you won't have to worry about those questions. Three, is it possible, biblically speaking, that a demon can possess an innocent child person who hasn't dabbled in the occult personally, i.e. the exorcist or the exorcism of Emily Rose movies? In the original exorcist movie... Uh, Raymond Blatty was behind the movie. They say that the story behind the film, although it was very sensationalized, and he took, he took many accounts of demon possession cases and put them all into one movie. So the movie didn't really reflect the actual case. But they say the actual case that the movie was based upon was not about a Regan, a little girl. It was actually about a little boy. And if I recall this correctly, the little boy lived in a home where seances were going on. Now, that is what, what I would call extra biblical. That's a case study, not a Bible verse. Is there a Bible verse that gives us a case where a child was possessed or neg negatively influenced by something an adult was doing in the same house? There is no such Bible verse that I know of. So I could use a case study and argue from what we might call a subjective uh, story or experience, but I can't say for sure. But we will in the future. We have a, a lady who comes here who grew up in a household where her mother was a witch, and she saw some very strange things happen in the house. We'll let her maybe tell us more about that. But I will say this. I've heard anecdotal evidence that it could happen but I don't know of a Bible verse. So I would tread carefully there, but I would say if you open up your home to these kinds of things, you never know what might happen. Many Christians have dream catchers hanging on the rearview mirror of their cars, hanging in their homes. Is there an actual danger in having and displaying these, though some may uh, be gifts from a well-meaning person, or is the church too uptight about myths and folklores? Is there also a danger in wearing talismans, crystals, miniature tiki statues in a necklace or having a good luck charm? 
Oscar, I know this question came from you, and I, I didn't have a chance to look at your link. The idea of a dream catcher, um, could you just quickly describe what is it supposed to do? Okay, so it's, it's supposed to filter out evil or bad dreams. Okay, so I would just say any implement that you try to use, rabbit's foot, dream catcher, anything like that. You know, I've even heard people say that the reason why people wear crosses today is something that we have to ask some questions about. Um, why, why do certain people wear crosses? Um, if you're wearing the cross because you believe in Jesus, then praise God. But the cross is not a good luck charm. It, it was a death instrument. And some non-Christians, here's what I mean. Some non-Christians are wearing crosses because they accessorize with it, to be blunt, or they think it's a good luck charm. You need to have the Christ who died on the cross. And then if you wear a cross, praise the Lord. There's even cases that I've heard of people who have been involved with stuff like this where they say the demonic spirits were afraid of the cross. So there's where I would give it validity. But I would say anything in the area of Indian beliefs or mysticism has no place for the Christian. And I would not say we're uptight about it. I, I just would get it out of your life. In fact, you tried to burn the book on chakras. Yeah, so um, advice that Mike had given Kenzie and I was to take anything that could have any type of cult, uh, demonic, any type of like connection, and just get rid of it. So I took a jacket, and then I also took the chakra book that I had, and I went outside in the backyard with Kenzie, and I burnt it. And have you guys ever seen a book not burn with a torch next to it? Because I haven't until that night. And, I mean, I'm talking words will disintegrate, but the page will remain white. And I had a torch next to it. Jacket burned for about eight hours. Uh, yeah, it was kind of crazy. But with everything that had happened, uh, kind of made more sense. That was a small amount of crazy. Everybody else? Just a little yeah. bit. <laughs> a little why doesn't the true, next one, why doesn't the true Christian church call out the so-called mega churches, in quotes, who... And hold them accountable. There are many megachurches across America that are practicing the occult and trapping those who are hurting or looking for answers. Um, I, I don't know who asked this question. I would love to get a little bit more of the backdrop of that. I do know this, that there are megachurches, so-called, that have got involved in contemplative prayer and New Age techniques and approaches that are certainly unbiblical and potentially dangerous. And sometimes this happens in the world of the megachurch for pragmatic reasons or, or to try to amalgamate the unchristian with the Christian for popularity purposes. And it just doesn't fly. So I, I would need a little bit more knowledge about a specific example, but I would just say if that pastor over that congregation is allowing New Age, Eastern mysticism, dot, 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 to be accessible to his congregants or his sheep or to sell books that teach this nonsense, exit stage left and find a different church. And uh, hopefully that, that person is just either ignorant or will come to their senses. Two more. Medical science accredits many of the behaviors described in biblical possession as being connected 
to so-called psychological disorders. Where is the line between the physical and spiritual realm and how we view possession today? I was reading a book, um, it's actually in this, this New Age, uh, Encyclopedia of New Age Beliefs, and there, one uh, doctor who is in the psychiatry field said that a lot of people that are manifesting the, some of this phenomena, we might take a little bit more seriously that it could have a spiritual origin. Now, this is a medical doctor that I don't think is a believer. But he would say that he's seen enough stuff with people who we would categorize as being maybe insane or, you know, having uh, a lot of different mental issues that he would give a little bit more validity to the spiritual side. Now, we have to be careful. And let me just say this to balance this evening. We have to have a biblical view of the spirit world. C.S. Lewis said the demons love two things. One, that Christians don't believe that they exist or people don't believe they exist. And two, that you see a demon behind every tree. It is not healthy for you as a Christian to leave here tonight to walk in fear or to be looking behind every tree for a demonic spirit. That is not a healthy biblical way to live. And I would highly exhort you not to leave here with that mindset tonight. That's not how we're to live. The New Testament Uh, teaching on this stuff acknowledges it, but the main perspective of a Christian is to be focused on the Lord and about the gospel business and enjoying the life that God's given you. So please don't go the other way. But I'll say this to you. Some people who have what we might call severe mental issues, there may be more spiritual validity to some of those cases than we might give credit for in an age of so-called scientific enlightenment. And finally, are drugs a passage to possession? I would say yes. In fact, in the ancient um, mystery religions of Babylon and Egypt and so forth, and even into the pantheon of gods and goddesses embraced by the Romans, the Greeks, and then the Romans, the taking of hallucinogenic drugs was part of the worship experience. Altered states of consciousness are a doorway to the demonic. And I'll just say this to you. If you are a person who messes with drugs, you can be assured that that is one handle that if you open that door and you are messing with stuff that you, had no, you have no business messing with, it can be a doorway to the demonic. And in the ancient world, those who were messing with, and even I think today, uh, people who would do this thing, they would either drink alcohol to excess to commune with the gods, small g, or they would take hallucinogenic drugs to intensify a religious experience, religious hysteria and the like. And it is a dangerous thing to do. It doesn't mean that everybody who takes a drug is going to encounter the demonic. Don't get me wrong. But it is a potential doorway to the demonic because it alters your state of consciousness. And by doing so, the devil can get a foothold in someone's life. So it is potentially a doorway. Okay? All right. Yes. Oh. Can someone be affected spiritually by playing video games with magic in them. (laughs) Well, you know, 
if you look at the phenomenon of the Ouija board and, and you ask some questions about why, uh, you know, I mentioned, I mentioned the medium Edgar Casey, not a Christian, said it's the quickest way to become demonically possessed. Here's the question, why? What, what is it about that game? Well, it is because you are calling out for answers to entities that you don't know what you're messing with. And with a, uh, a game that you might be playing, and, and I don't know much about the modern games, but I know I remember dungeon, Dungeons and Dragons and things like that. And people were dabbling in some of this stuff. And I think that it's not hard to figure out the line here. If you're, if you're involved in something where you're being encouraged to call out to spirit guides or to get some assistance from some spiritual entity somewhere, that should be a major red flag. So I would just say if it's even bordering on something that's questionable, just don't go there. Now, I want to close with this. Here we are tonight, and uh, the room is filled with many Christians, but I don't know where you all are spiritually. And I just have a final question. Have you met the true light of the world? Have you met the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you know him personally? The moment that you meet him, darkness will flee. It doesn't mean that you can't be harassed or there's not spiritual warfare. There is. But he who is in me is greater than he that is in the world. And by the way, I know some, some of you have questions. Can a Christian be possessed? The answer is no. The Holy Spirit makes us his temple when we come to Christ. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. Now, it doesn't mean that you couldn't be harassed or oppressed, but I do not believe a Christian can be possessed. And I think that we can make a very strong biblical case for that. But I'll just say this. If you don't know Christ, come to know him. Receive him as your Lord and Savior. If you're watching this right now, you, you're somewhere else, you're watching this online later, can I just plead with you in the name of Jesus, get saved. Come to know the one who is the true light and the true hope of the world. If you don't know him tonight, all you gotta do is really what JT did. Lord Jesus, come into my life. I've sinned against you, I'm sorry. I repent of that sin. I believe you died on that cross for my sin. I believe that you rose from the dead and I'm gonna trust you as my Lord and my Savior. Make that decision today and don't put it off one more moment if you don't know Christ. Settle it now. Now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. Amen? Jesus is salvation. All right? We thank you for coming. I'm gonna close this in prayer. If you have additional questions or you need someone to pray with you or you have questions about how to follow Christ or know him or you're going through something, there's going to be people up here waiting to pray with you. If you have an additional question for me or one of the panel members, I know they'd be happy to talk with you. But would you stand and let's close with a benediction. <clears throat> Father God, we're so grateful for this night. We're so grateful for a throne of grace where Jesus is that we could find mercy and help in time of need. We have a great high priest over the house of God. Thank you that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And we know, as Paul lists the things in Romans 8, that nothing, 
will ever separate us from his love. Not angels, not principalities, not demons, not powers, not height, not depth, not any other thing will ever separate us from your love. Thank you for your love demonstrated for us at the cross. Thank you for what you did in JT's life. Thank you for McKinsey. Thank you for Robert. Thank you for Dave and Marilyn, the, their family. Thank you for your mighty deliverance, Lord. We, we just want to pause and make sure all glory goes to you. And whatever we can learn from this tonight, whatever you want us to take away, that's what I pray we do. And I pray that in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Good night.